0: Thank you for joining us this morning. Celebration as we celebrate this Advent season, the time of Christ's birth. Our scripture reading now, if you would turn in your Bibles, is going to look at a couple different passages in our reading, both in the Old Testament. Ruth chapter 1 and Judges chapter 2. We'll do Ruth first. Ruth chapter 1 and Judges chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers stand ready with Bibles available. Just raise your hand right now, and they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. And if you already have your Bible and you turn, please stand with me in respect to the reading of God's Holy Word. Ruth chapter 1, the first six verses there, and then Judges chapter 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And now, Judges chapter 2 in its entirety. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in in Timnatharees, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the lord or the work that he had done for israel and the people of israel did what was evil in the sight of the lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the lord the god of their fathers who had brought them up and brought them out of the land of egypt they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned And as the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of the enemies, of their enemies all the days of the judge. for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their father and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. May God direct us in his reading of his word, understanding his truth, and applying it in, in our lives. Let's bow now for a moment of prayer. After prayer, we will have a song by our choir, a preaching of God's word, and we'll close our service today with a song, a second song from our choir. Let's bow now in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. We thank you for... Um, just being with us through this week. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that allows us to endure the challenges that we face with hope, trusting in you. We thank you for this season that points, or ought to point to the hope and the one and only hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we direct our hearts to that gospel that preaches Jesus as our one and only hope May we trust in him, live for him, and bring glory to you. We ask your provision for those who couldn't be with us. There's family that's quarantined because of COVID. We have uh, those who've been affected. We have those who are on vacation and traveling. We pray your safety for them. We pray your blessing and your protection for all of us. And then we pray for those who are grieving, those who have lost uh, loved ones recently, Um, some uh, a year or so ago and still feel the the hurt and the loss and the challenge from that we just pray that you'll just continue to comfort and i thank you lord that those who have received comfort are comforting others as well we thank you for that we just ask you to give us that comfort that comes from you that we might look to you now as we hear your word we might put our trust in the hope that is from you the lord jesus christ and we'll learn how we ought to think of him and love him and serve him In in everything that we do. So we pray that you bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So our series. This season is a little different, but it is focused on who Christ is, where he came from, and in doing so, we get to take a look at how God is working to bring about his purpose and his plan and how that plan can include us. He has a plan that includes you and I. It's a comfort to me to see God working through unusual circumstances And bringing about his purpose. It's a comfort to me because we live in strange circumstances. And if you just watch the news every day, you might not want to wake up the next morning. I mean, it's discouraging. It's depressing. And it can lead you to think that that's all that's happening. But that's all that they report. They, yes, they have an agenda. But it's not God's agenda. And we need to keep in tune with what God is doing. And we need to, we need to uh, you know, you need to look at the scripture and see more of what the news really means. It means that God is still working. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. And it's going just the way that he planned things to go. I see that in the life of these four women that we've mentioned. There's five actually when you include Mary. And in this great genealogy we see three groups of 14 and out of those, all of those individuals only five of them are women. The the genealogy is based on the line of the man and only four times besides that which Mary do we see that this man was linked together, sometimes by marriage, sometimes not, and had children in that relationship that was in the line of Christ. We looked at Tamar, didn't we? And we looked at Rahab last week, and today we're going to look at Ruth. I'm not gonna show you the the slide that I had. I don't know if you had that ready or not, doesn't matter. but it's simply a line of names, and you can see that n- list of names in Matthew chapter one, and also 1 Chronicles uh, chapter two, if you want to follow along that line. Um, and so, what we're looking at is the connection of Jesus with Abraham and all the descendants from Abraham. Now, Luke would also take you back from Abraham all the way to Noah, and uh, follow that line. So. What this says is that God's plan, in his plan, he brought about his son at the very perfect time that he intended to be the savior of the world. And he did that in some trying circumstances. And what that reminds me of is that no matter how bad the situation is, God is still doing his plan. It doesn't uh, uh, stop God's plan. It doesn't even slow it down at all. God is completely uh, uh, in control and working out his plan. And so we saw strange relationships like Tamar. Um, and, 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 and we see how she's linked to Judah and that line of Judah. Then we saw Rahab the prostitute. wonder why God would use a prostitute. Well, I'm glad he did because if he couldn't change her, he wouldn't have the power to change me or you or anybody else. It shows, though, that his power is unlimited. There's no one out of his reach or, or too sinful for him to save. He saved her and, and brought, her, brought her to faith, to trust him, and, and then to be a part of the line that brought forth the Savior. It's interesting, Rahab, we talk about in the story of, of the walls of Jericho, And then uh, we see or we learn from the genealogies that Rahab was married to a man called Salmon and Rahab the the Bible account doesn't give us the detail and the information but we just know that, that they were linked together and they had a son named Boaz. The two of them had a son named Boaz. Now if you listen and read the Word of God, you realize Boaz is prominent in the story of Ruth. Ruth has only four chapters, so it's a very short reading if you want to read through that. We preached through the book of Ruth some time ago, and uh, we see what happened with Ruth. So let's talk about the setting of the book of Ruth. If you turn with me to Ruth chapter 1, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. So this is a setting of Ruth's life. Actually, it's not Ruth's like yet, because Ruth didn't come from Israel. She wasn't born in Israel. Her mother and father were not Israelites, so she wasn't even part of that country. And so the story of Ruth starts with a man named Elimelech. Elimelech, if I can say that right. I don't know I'm going to mess that up a couple times. E l i m e l e c h, Elimelech. He was a descendant of Judah. He was, well, let's look at the story. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two, ch- his two sons. name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of, names of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. So it starts with this, this family. It tells us it's in the days when the judges ruled. That's why we read as we started Judges chapter 2 so we can get a sense of what was going on there. Just three words that, that tells you what Judges was like. It was disorder and chaos and disobedience. One of the common uh, 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 things in Judges, if you, well, if you're in Ruth chapter 1, just look at the end of Judges. It's right before Ruth. Look at the last verse. This is Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel... Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Can I kind of translate into our day and age? In those days, there was no chief priest, no no chief of police in Milwaukee. Rules didn't get followed, people did what they wanted. The legislator, the people who are in charge, refuse money from the government so that we might add police officers, and everybody did exactly what they wanted. Sounds a lot like today. The chaos and the nonsense that's going on now is like the chaos that's been going on then, and it's wickedness and it's sinfulness, and we're living right in the middle of it. That's where the story of Ruth was. That's why I relate to it. Because we're a lot like that. And it's easy for us to hear about what's going on and give up and say, What in the world is going on? I say that all the time. But I also say, God, I'm glad I belong to you. Because you are my only hope. In the days when the judges ruled, there was no king. God brought leaders in because they were desperately needed but few followed the direction even of the good leaders so they lived in a day like our day disobedience chaos and disorder besides that Ruth 1 tells us something else was going on it says there was a famine in the land (laughs) Besides all that, there was a famine in the land. What was a famine? Shortage of everything. Shortage of food. Shortage of resources of every type in the land. It reminds me of some of the mess that's going on in our land. COVID-19. Some of the disorder that's going on. Some of the chaos that goes on because of that. There was a famine in the land. When you see that, uh, oftentimes we think, is this God's judgment on the land? And sometimes it is, and sometimes yet, here's the good thing, that God can bring judgment and yet still protect his people. In other words, you go, well, if if, if something like COVID is, is God's judgment, what about me? I had it or my wife had it and, and family members had it and, and have it now. So, so what does that mean for us? Is God's judgment upon us? What we see is that you can have aspects of God's judgment and God's grace going on at the same time. That God can save and deliver his people and carry them through the things that they go through. God is doing that now and God is doing that today. He is protecting and making provisions for his own people. Now, there was a famine in the land, and so this family, the head of the family, Elimelech, decided he was going to take his folks and move down south or move, move somewhere else. We, we, we hear that all the time. Hey, I heard there's jobs in such and such a place. I'm going to go there. I heard there's food there. I'm going to go there. And that's what he did. He took his family, and he left, and he, he went down into the country of Moab. He had two sons and his wife, and it tells us that while he was there, it says in verse 3, the hus- Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. doesn't give us the circumstances, what, what caused it or, or how that happened. We don't know if that's just a chain of events or God's mark on that in some special way, uh, but we know that he died. And so his wife, Naomi, is left as a widow, and she has two sons. They grow up, and they get married. And guess who they marry? They marry women from around that area, right from around Moab. The oldest one's name is Malon, and he marries Ruth. The second one, Chilion, and he marries a woman called Orpah. And so they marry. They stay there for 10 years. But guess what? They had no children, none. So Naomi has a husband, she has two sons, she has no grandchildren, and before she can have any grandchildren, both of those sons die. Both of them. It doesn't tell us how close they were to, to each other in death. Uh, doesn't give us any of the circumstances, but we know they both died and they leave their wives husbandless. They are two widows, and so now it's three widows together. It's Naomi, it's Ruth, and it's Orpah, and Naomi has a conversation with her two daughter-in-laws who are childless, and now she's childless. She has no children, she has no grandchildren. She has this conversation with them. Not only is she childless, she basically is homeless. And she decides that it's best for her to go back to her home. I want you to also see a connection. You say, what does this have to do with the Christmas story? Right away you can see a connection. Because in chapter 1, verse 1 of Ruth, uh, of Ruth it says, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Elimelech was from Judah the tribe of Judah he was from the land of Judah and from the very land the little town of Bethlehem oh little town of Bethlehem we call it a little town because it's a little insignificant and you wouldn't think much great or much significance would be attached to it and yet we see right away this man is from that town this town comes up often in this chapter you see there in verse 1 again in verse 2 it says the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi and the names of his two sons Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from where? Bethlehem. Okay? The name comes out again. Look look further on in the chapter verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. The two of them is, is Ruth and Naomi. So we first I want to say that Bethlehem is, is, is prominent in this story. And there's a reason for that. And in fact, there's a reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem because that's where his people were. That's where he came from. This was one of them, and they centered around that little town. So years later, in fact, can we take a look at that? In Luke chapter 2, can you turn there with me? Luke chapter 2, verse 1 and so on. In those days, I'll give you a minute. Are you there with me yet? Turn there quickly, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Qu- Qu- Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So where did Joseph and Mary go? With the order from the governor to everybody got to be registered so they can pay their right tax? He went to his hometown in Bethlehem. Go back now to Ruth chapter 1. Bethlehem is a prominent place in this story, even though it's insignificant probably everywhere else, God works in this little town. So Naomi, with her two daughter-in-laws, is going to return back to her town after the death in this famine, death of her husband, death of her two sons, She says, there's nothing left for me in Moab. Let me me go back home. And so she decides to do that. Verse 6, there she arose with her daughters. I'm in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. There she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the field of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with with the dead and with me. She doesn't want to burden her two young daughter-in-laws. And she says, Go back and go back home. What does she mean? She's saying, look, i got a tough journey ahead. i got a tough life ahead. And I don't want you to be burdened with this life. Go, your, your husbands have died. Go back home and remarry. Find another husband, have children, and enjoy your life. That's what she tells her. Look at verse, the next verse there in verse 9. The Lord grant you that you may find rest... Each of you in the house of her husband. Rest is an important theme. It's an important theme here. And it has a meaning to it. And, and, and we see that theme also in the story of Christ's birth. They were looking for a place, Mary and Joseph, to, to have. The, the baby was imminent. She was, she was expecting any moment. They were looking for a place to, to settle and rest. They couldn't find it. Ended up in a barn. There's no place for them anywhere. Naomi is telling her daughters-in-law, go back home and find rest. But there's even more significance than just a, 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 a rest from regular activity. What she's saying is, girl, have a life. You won't have one staying with me. My life is over. I'm done. My husband died. I've got no children. They've died. And and you don't have any children and I've got no grandchildren. She's saying, "I've got no future." I'm going back where I came from. Y'all go back where y'all come from. You can see her in a very sorrowful state. I want you to look deeper into this word verse 9. It says, "The Lord grant you that you may find rest." Each of you in the house of her husband. Now, they're not married. Their husband died. What is she saying? She said, I want you to go and get married and and, and enjoy life. Find rest in the house of your husband. Now, that that thing comes up again in Ruth. If you turn to Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, you know how the story goes. Ruth decides to go with Naomi, and her other daughter-in-law decides to stay and go back home. And so it's Ruth and Naomi who are returning back to Bethlehem. And when they get there, they, 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 they have to do something. But while, before I get to that, look just how this word rest comes in and what it really means. In chapter 3, verse 1, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, she's speaking to Ruth, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? What is she talking about? Remember context, right? Context is important. Look at the very next verse. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? She's saying, Should I seek a husband for you to get married? And Boaz is, he's a, he, he's a target, <laughs> he's one that fits the qualifications. This rest has to do with them enjoying life and, and in her case, finding a spouse and getting married again and enjoying the, the things of this life. You and I wanna enjoy the things of this life too, don't. This rest is what Naomi wanted to offer to her daughter, her daughter-in-law. So, They decide, go back to chapter one now, they decide to return to Bethlehem. I want you to see who this Ruth is, who this daughter-in-law is. We see her commitment in chapter one. Verse 15, she said, this is Naomi talking now, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. See, there was a connection. You go back to your land, you go back to their customs and their practices and their gods. And that's what, that what, what the first sister-in-law was doing. But Ruth decided not to go back to that. Even in this time of, 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 of harsh circumstances, Ruth had seen something. God was calling her to himself in a very special way. Look what she says. Verse 16, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now there's a connection. It's saying the people, can can I put it plain in a very practical way? The people you hang with, you're going to practice their customs. So who are you hanging with? Who do you like to be around? Who do you spend your time with? Ruth says, look, I have made a decision. I've made a, a commitment to you, and that means to you, to your people, wherever you're going, I'm going. Whatever, whatever you're going to set up camp, I'm going to set up camp. And whatever practice you have, your God is now my God. Now, she knew who she was talking about. She had left her own God, a little G with an S on it, and turn to God, Jehovah, big G, singular. And that's important, and that's significant. God is working in her heart, he's working in her life. And we see that in her commitment. We see something else about Ruth. She is a woman of character. She is a woman of character. In verse 18 of that same chapter, He says, when Naomi saw that she was determined (laughs) to go with her, she said no more. She got a sense of of, of Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Ruth is basically saying, look, I'm not just with you because I married your son. My life now is a part of you. There's a great commitment that comes with following the Lord. I I see people sometimes who want to be loosely connected with church and and uh, they, they don't really want a, a commitment with the Lord and a commitment with God's people. And I, it scares them off when I use terms like this. But being a part of the church is like marriage. It's a, it's a commitment. But committing yourself to the Lord, it says, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be wherever you want me to be. And, and, and I will obey you in all that you have, even if I don't know what it is. Too many people are saying, well, Lord, show me your plan. I'll see if I might do it if the job is good, if you're going to give me the right man. I mean, so many people who who call themselves Christians "Well, you know, I'm afraid to to marry who God might want me to marry because he might be boring, he might be ugly, she might not look good. And and, and, and in, in other words, they're saying, I don't trust God. I don't trust him. He's not going to pick what is good for me. And I want to pick what's good for me. God knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows how to accomplish his purpose in you and you're best when you turn yourself over to him, willingly, willingly. Ruth had made that commitment and she says, girl, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. And she does that. She goes with him. But there's something else about Ruth's character that's, that's um, spoken of in chapter 3, Verse 11. Naomi says there, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. I'm sorry. This is this is uh, Boaz speaking, isn't it? He says, but he says, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz gives a testimony about her, and he uses the term worthy woman that word worthy speaks to her character she has had a testimony of a character that is beyond reproach people heard her story and they've seen her when they came to town everybody was excited who is this woman she was a a young woman so I'd imagine she got the attention of people look in Ruth chapter 2 verse 5 you'll see that she's young when Boaz saw her he says Boy, have said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? <laughs> now, she had been married and she was a widow, but she was still young. But she was a woman of character. So that when people heard her story and they saw her, they saw that she lived with character. Dignity about herself. In other words, her faith was showing. And people could see that. She wasn't out just to try to, to you know, to, to, to get a job or try to get some money. She, look, she was living in obedience to the Lord. She was saying, Lord, wherever you have me, that's where I'm going. And I trust that you have, you take care of me. you do good. I, I, I want to enjoy what you have for me because I trust you with my life. So we see she was a woman of character. I'm not going to get into the details, but there is a term uh, of liberate marriage. Um, why Naomi had two sons, and now that they had died, her daughter-in-laws were actually, uh, they, since they had no children, they would be married to the next son that Naomi had. But Naomi had no other son. And she basically says to them, look in Ruth chapter 1, verse 10. She tells her, her two daughter-in-laws to go back home. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? And you can read about that, that practice in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5, I think to 11. Um, and I talked a little bit about that uh, when we talk about Tamar, so you can understand that practice there. But you can see that that's in play here. And then she says in verse 12 Turn back, my daughters, go your way. If I'm too old to have a husband, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she was saying, no, don't, don't, don't stay with me. I got nothing to offer you. But Ruth stayed anyway, a woman of character that trusted God in her circumstances. She didn't know what God had in store, but she trusted, and she was going to stay by her mother-in-law. So we see who Ruth is. What about Boaz, this man that comes into the picture in chapter 2? Let's see, look at what says said about him. In chapter two, verse one, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So we told him that he is also a worthy man. A man of character. Changing jobs and made an application in my job and had to do a Background check, (laughs) background check. You probably have to do that for any job you apply for. And a drug test as well. You probably have to do that for any job. People want to know, are you a person of character? And not just by what you say. (laughs) Let's look into your past. Let's look at the people who knew you and and who had connection with you. And now in technology, (laughs) we can look at you We can do tests on your body and tell what you've been about, at least recently. What would it say? Does it speak to your character? What is your reputation? What do others say about you? If you're a believer, then that testimony ought to be a good one. If you're a recent believer, it ought to at least be like Rahab. She was a prostitute, but not anymore. God has changed her life lives a whole different tomb but for Ruth she was a woman of character for Boaz the reputation about him is that he was a worthy man a man of character and I do counseling for those who desire to get married I ask them to examine each other and tell me about each other what do you know about this person that you desire to marry how do you know that they are a person of character? And you say, well, why do they have to be a person of character? Well, first of all, if they profess Christ, then they ought to show that in their life. I'm not talking about their past. Like I talk about Rahab, that's what she was. What is she now? And how do you know that they are that? Is there some evidence to show them that? And why do they have to be a person of character? Because you are trusting your life to their truthfulness that they are committing to you and you to them for life that's what god says it is and a person of character needs you need a person of character to enter into that type of agreement Donna and i just celebrated 39 years of marriage yesterday And had to reflect back and think back on how good god is and how gracious he is to allow us to give us the grace to keep that commitment ongoing and then to see the fruit and the blessings that come from that commitment. God calls you into commitment with others. In the case of marriage, you need to be ready for that commitment. And some people that we caution and warn that, hey, when you come here, focus on your spiritual walk. Don't be so quick to enter into relationships. Get your character straight right first. And then listen to others about what they say about that person of interest, about their true character. Don't be blinded by that. Don't ignore that. Don't think you're going to straighten it all out yourself. You're going to fix him or her. They're not going to be perfect, I understand that, but they need to be a person of integrity and a person of character. And that needs to be lived out in front of you and in front of others some people want to say well it's none of your business what i do oh yeah it is we're connected and you want to connect yourself to another person and just the attitude that you have and that whatever i do is my business is a problem it's an issue because you don't live on your own the first thing remember the one of the first sinners in genesis god said hey what did you do Cain? where's your brother he said, am I my brother's keeper? He said, that ain't my business. I ain't got nothing to do with him. That was his attitude. It was the wrong attitude. God corrected him and judged him. We are connected to each other. Our character matters. Boaz had a character, and other people could see it and give testimony to that. So who is this Boaz? We see him that way. We also see how God connected these two. and I'm going to skip to the end of the book. It's kind of like fast forwarding in the movie, right? <laughs> You've seen it before, you know what's going to happen, but it's still a good story. It's still a good story. The story is this. God brings Boaz and Ruth together. And they marry, and they have a child. Now, the genealogies in the Bible are not always straight-line genealogy, so we don't always see father to son, the father to son directly. You might see father to grandson or great-grandson in some cases. And some lines might be uh, left out just for the the sake of of of, of the the story of the way that that was written. But we do see a true line and true genealogy. But my point is this: is that It appears that Boaz, we know this, that Boaz is the son of Solomon and Rahab. Think about that for a moment. Rahab, it tells us in Joshua chapter 6 that when Israel came and took over Jericho, They saw the scarlet cord hanging down Rahab's uh, rope, hanging down her window, right? And they said that you're going to save everybody in that household. And so they brought that household safe out and saved them. But it says something happened, or they did something with them. It's a small reference, but I want to show it to you in Joshua chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. This is Joshua speaking to the men. But, the two, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. Now here's the next point I want to bring out. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. What does it mean by outside the camp of Israel? They said, "No, wait a minute, y'all part with us, but you know, don't get too close." <laughs> they put them outside the camp because there was there was a little bit of distinction between them and the rest of Israel. Now I don't know how long they stayed outside of that camp and and what 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 happened, but I know at some point this young woman Rahab became involved with a young man, Solomon, and they got married and they had a child. But I wonder what was going on about the conversations about Salmon and choosing a woman like Rahab. Are you sure who she is, man? Can you vouch for her character? You don't think she wanna go back? Go into her old line of work, do you? You can imagine his brothers and cousins talking to him and friends about what, what, who she was and why he's hanging out with her and why he's involved with her. But at some point, I think her character began to show for what it is. And, and Solomon was okay with this young lady because her life had been changed and she is now living a life of faith and trust in God. We, saw, we explored that a little bit as we saw what she was into we saw the scripture that talked about her faith and so Solomon and Rahab have a child named Boaz and Boaz guess what like father like son isn't that something who does he find and he's interested in marrying this woman is not from Israel she's from Moab but her character is solid I wonder what the word was about them Man, look at Boaz, he treating her kinda special, ain't he? Giving her all the food she could take home with her. He interested in her. And then the two of them get married and they have a a son named Obed. Boaz marries Ruth and has a son named Obed. We, don't, we aren't told who obed married, but we told his son his name is Jesse. Jesse has many children, many sons, and one of them, not even the oldest, one of the least of them, his name was David. His name was David. God is working in lives in a great and remarkable way to bring about his from David the Lord Jesus Christ himself was born in that line that line that included Tamar that line that included Rahab that line that included Ruth included David David we didn't even get into Bathsheba maybe we'll spend some time in, in the future with her but God is using people who are imperfect and flawed. In the case of Ruth, one who's a foreigner and an outcast and not included in the group. In the case of Rahab, one who's a Canaanite woman of ill repute. But God has changed her life. God is reaching down in the common man and bringing out his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, it's not many mighty who are called, not many noble. God didn't save me because he saw what great things I could do for him or the potential that I had. No, 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 not at all. God saved me in spite of my sin. God reaches out to you in spite, but there's hope in that that God in his grace looks out on common man who has a need and he brings salvation to him. And in this case, brings salvation through him. Jesus is born through this line of sinners. He himself is not a sinner, but he's born from this line of unusual rejects, foreigners, one who seemed like they had the curse of God in their life seemed like that to Naomi when Naomi went back to Bethlehem they said girl ain't seen you in a long time what's happening and she said don't call me Naomi no more because that Naomi that name means pleasant and my life is everything but pleasant call me Mara from now on because Mara means bitter the Lord has been bitter with me I, I left here full and I'm coming back empty I had a husband. I had two sons. I had to hope for a future, and now I've got nothing. I don't know how I'm going to survive. That's what Naomi was. And you could imagine her saying, and, and, and I pity my little girl who came with me because I don't know why she chose this life. It happened to me, but she chose it. I don't know why. But there's hope in the story of the gospel, and it, Ruth ends with the book of Ruth ends Boaz married to Ruth and Ruth having a child and Naomi grandmother now this child taking this child in her lap and the neighbors say girl look at you look at you you were childless widowed children died having nothing And God has blessed you. I want to take a look as we close in those last chapters, chapter 4 of Ruth, the last few verses there. And I want you to see the hope that comes through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ verse 13 of Ruth chapter 4 so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and bore a son now you notice that the Lord gives conception and it wasn't his judgment that kept her from conceiving because Ruth had never had children before even though she was married and it tells us in chapter 1 it may have been uh, 10 years but didn't have children part of god's plan it's part of god's purpose we might not understand it but we surrendered that to god he had a glorious purpose for ruth he delayed her having any children until she was married to this man and in this situation and then he brought it about you see god hadn't rejected ruth or hadn't condemned her he had elected her and chosen her And sometimes his elected and his chosen go through challenges and hardships. Jesus certainly did. God chose him for that. He went through those hardships for you and for me. God chose him for the cross. God chose him for that torment of the cross and that death for you and for me. Now it says further now, Then the women said to Naomi, to be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. He's speaking of Boaz there. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He's speaking of their child. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. He's speaking to Naomi, the grandmother now. And they're saying... This child, there's hope now. Before she had no hope, she had no children, no husband, no grandchildren, no future, no job, no nation, no country, no place, nothing. Now she has hope. This child will be to you a restorer of life. This child's name is Obed, and and yet he's saying his descendant is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that's in mind here. He's the one that's a restorer of life. We can go to him. We can trust him to change our lives, to restore our life. I'm not talking about get rich and be happy and healthy and have all these things. No. Jesus goes beyond that. When he says restore life, he says he's gonna give you real life. But you didn't have it before. A restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. A nourisher of old age. It says, Naomi could rest that child in a rocking chair and just think. Lord, you have given me a future and a hope. And she had, I wonder if she had the slightest of what God was really doing. He had indeed given her a future and a hope. And it wasn't just in that grandson. It was through that grandchild that was going to be born, the Savior, the hope, the restorer of the world. It's in Jesus. It's in him that we have hope. It's in him that we have life. It's in him that we have a future. I can say to you today, Merry Christmas, because I want you to be joyful about the celebration of Christ and what he brings. If the world ends tonight... For those who trust in Christ, in other words, if my world was to totally collapse and everything I thought was good was to, was to just turn to rot and decay and nothing, I have Christ and I still have the greatest of hope that there is. If you have Christ, you do. I and mean, I can say the reverse is true as well. If I was to walk out of here and win the lottery, and look younger and grow hair where I didn't have hair before and have all those things that people could want or hope for and not have Christ, I would be in a pitiful shape. Merry Christmas means our hope is in Jesus, Jesus alone, and that's enough. It's more than enough. Have you come to trust Jesus? What is he to you? Naomi he was life he was hope he, he, was, he was a future where she had none to Boaz he could look at his son and say God you are a good God people have been calling me and my family weird and, and, and getting involved in all kinds of things but I know it's your doing and I know what you're doing I would imagine I don't know if this was possible but can you think for a moment what if Ruth she had her mother-in-law, Naomi, right? What if she had a relationship with Boaz's mother? Can you think of the conversations there? Who's Boaz's mother? Rahab. Can you imagine that? Conversations there. She had a mother-in-law from the past, Naomi. She had a mother-in-law in the future, Rahab. Can you imagine? Girl, you're just like me. God has poured out his grace and his blessing on you. And it's shown through your life. And God is doing greater things that we can't even imagine. He's bringing his son into the world. God is included. Now, me and you aren't in the line, the physical line of Christ. But we something that's, that's even greater. We're in the spiritual line. We are counted as children of God, sons and daughters of God, if we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we will be in eternity with Christ. That means everything to me. I hope it means that to you, and I hope that's true for you, and in fact, I hope you have truly a Merry Christmas. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love that you've shown to bring Christ to us. May we think deeply and enjoy and appreciate all that you have done in Christ. May we enjoy him, celebrate him, and worship him, love him, and serve him, and commit our lives to him and all that he stands for. Choir, would you come as I close in this prayer? I'm going to end in your song. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Speak to your people now. Break through to hearts that need to surrender to Christ. Break through to hearts that just need to say thank you in a moment of gratitude for what you've done and what you are doing. Speak to our hearts now as we close this service in song. In Jesus' name we pray.